Hey everyone, before we get started with today's episode, I have a quick announcement. We're doing Life's But a Song live! It's a live episode where I got some besties of the pod together to come and sing a song from one of their episodes. So on Sunday, February 19th at 4pm, come on down to see Life's But a Song live at the Lori Beachman Theater here in New York City! Tickets are $15. There's a $25 food and drink minimum. There's a link also in my Instagram bio with all of this information. But yes, come on down to see us sing and perform. And, you know, also celebrate the podcast. And it's also my birthday. Yes, it's my Bobby birthday this year. So come on down to the Lori Beachman Theater, Sunday, February 19th at 4 p.m. here in New York City. And... On with the episode! Welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John. With me today is a very special guest. Very, mm, hold on, let me. And with me today is a very special special guest. (laughs) And with me today is a very special guest. He's a performer, he's a podcaster, he's an entrepreneur, and he wrote the book for today's episode. It's Edward Miskey, everyone. Hello. <laughs> did I say your last name right? You did. You did. Yes. I would. I read. I read the book. <laughs> I read the book, and every time I was just like, I hope it's pronounced Miski because that's how am, I'm saying it. I am shocked and impressed that you read that in that short period of time. It was so. The book we're talking about, obviously, if you haven't read the title or anything, is Cancer Musical Theater and Other Chronic Illnesses. Where, yes, you're plugging it, even though this isn't an audio. This is an audio only. <laughs> um, so I saw that you posted you wanted to talk about it, and we will talk more, get more in depth. But I have to say though, it is written so well and so. Like, there are points that I laughed with and at you, and I'm sorry about the latter. <laughs> it, it was intentional. <laughs> like, like literally, the the part where you were at the gym and you shit your life away, basically. Mm-hmm, literally. Mm-hmm. You, you shit everything you ate out of your... Yeah. I was just like, oh, shit, that's hilarious. But also, I'm like... I. Sh- it's poop humor, though. Like it's poop humor. It's lowest common denominator, <laughs> but it really did happen. I mean, it it basically happened just like that too. And you know, it, I think I say in the in the prologue of the book, like, please laugh with and at me, because like it it's ridiculous. Like the whole the whole run of like the cancer experience is ridiculous. 
Mm-hmm. Like I haven't, I'm not. So in the, also in the prologue, you wanted, you said that you wanted to write this for people who are also experiencing cancer, but then also I'm the latter category. I'm the ones who haven't experienced it personally. I know people who have, um, and it's very sad. <laughs> like, like ever there was points in the books that I just want, I, I, I wanted to just reach out and give you a hug, even though I'm reading your book and that, and I was reading it on my phone, so. I didn't even have a hard copy to be like, oh, oh, it's, you can hug the phone. It's fine. I hugged my yeah. phone a little bit. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I tried to make it as funny as it could be, um, you know, without kind of glossing over the the realities of it all. But like, you know, and, and now I'm recording the audiobook, So I'm revisiting a lot of this for the first time in, in a while, which is daunting Rough. about how fired up I get while I'm reading yeah um, you made me read the book i'm an audiobook person so i had I know, actually I'm so sorry i'm uh, so how sorry dare you it's okay the audiobook will be out in december <laughs> damn it <laughs> sorry. Said, whatever whatever it's fine i'm glad i got to practice reading it's been a while right <laughs> we don't we don't that's the thing we don't do anymore <laughs> we don't read i read people not books anyway right. um so what I I know you say this, but I get, what made you want to write this and in this format? Right. So, I mean, I had a lot of people being like, oh, you should do a one-man show or you should write a musical. And I just was like, I had no interest in doing any of that. And I, I wrote this as a book just because I've always been interested in writing, but it wasn't an avenue I had ever taken as an adult. I wrote a lot as a kid. Um, and then I, I wrote a little bit when I moved here as a teenager and then it, I kind of like fell off the, the train, the writing train. So when this kind of thing happened and I had the realization I wanted to write something, book was just like the first thing and the most natural feeling thing to put out there, you know, because like if it was a musical, like it dies when the curtain goes down, you know, like and people maybe talk about it, but you don't really have anything to show for it. You know, and like a book was something that I could have digitally, but also do a lot with and hold tangibly, you know, like analog is always going to win. Like I can hold it in my hand and be like, you know, knock, knock, this is my book. Um, But what made me want to write it was just like this weird feeling I had after being told that I was cancer free, that I was just kind of like hunted out into the universe. Like, good luck. Thank you. And like, yeah, you have follow up appointments and you know, there's a very uh, grueling period of time where you're there three times a week and then it's once a week and then it's once every two weeks and then it's once a month and it just kind of like dies off over the course of a year. And then you're just kind of left with like, okay, like what do I do now? And it wasn't until I met someone who was in a similar situation earlier on than I was. Um, You know, I met them when I was about four years out and they were like three or four months out. And so we had this really great conversation where it was just like, oh my God, yeah, I remember that. Like, that's the thing that happened. And it just was this click that this is the part of cancer that not a whole lot of people talk about. Like they talk about like the chemo and the diagnosis and how you felt and what happens and the blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But there really is no conversation around like what happens to you after and like where your head is that way. They just, Everyone I think just assumes that you know, you're done. And so you can go back to being the person you were before. And that's just not, that's like not a thing. It's not really. And like, maybe some people can do that, but I was not one of them. And no one I talked to about this before, before and during I was writing, it was able to do it either. You just have like a totally new perspective 
and um you know back to poop humor and lowest common denominator uh humor like i had someone once tell me that it was like this was in regards to getting back together with an ex but it does apply here as well that like trying to go back to your former self pre-cancer is like trying to shove a piece of shit back into your asshole and i was like oh wow and in the context it was like getting back together with an ex but again it applies here what a concept like you would never do that so why would you get back together with an ex and why would you try to be the person you were before you went through this massive change like it just doesn't make sense and so the reason why this is on this podcast is because you um through in each scene if you will um I, I saw what you did there and I had to, I have to respect you in each scene that you have you make a you use a, sh- a musical as a metaphor or a reference to what's happening so ergo while you're on a musical based podcast um hey. <laughs> is there though like so this book came out in 2017 it was originally in 2017, and I just yes. re-released it um, in this past October for my 10-year cancer-free anniversary. Okay. Um, I was told I was cancer-free two days before my actual birthday because everyone's like, oh, your cancer birthday. I just meld them into one. Um, but the day that it popped up on Barnes & Noble was my actual birthday, so that felt that felt really oh, cool. Oh, that's sweet. Um, but yeah, we kind of re- we went through the book and we redid it. We reformatted. We added some text. We, you know, uh, redesigned the whole thing. But it was originally 2017. Yeah. Sorry. And All that to say it was 2017. <laughs> so, um, and thank God, I, because I didn't get a lot of them, and thank God you put... <laughs> Well, at the end of the book, what the references were, but like, is there any sort of, okay, so 2017 to 2022, that's five years. Is there any show in those five years that you wish you used as a story? What a good question. Um, I mean, that's kind of why I made the new preface six, because like yes. there, there are so many new pieces that I wish I would have done. And I think six would be my knee-jerk reaction to that. And the comparison that I make to Henry VIII being cancer mm-hmm. and like going through the divorced, beheaded, survived like montage within that within that preface uh, is, I guess, kind of scratching the itch of like, oh, there have been a lot of musicals that have happened. Right. Well, yeah. Years. I mean, plus I also got a sense that because in the preface, I think it was, you do talk about how like, you're a musical, your whole family is like into musicals and you basically grew up with musical theater. So it kind of felt like you were curating like your um, CDs that you have or something. And that's what we're listening to is like all the musicals you grew up listening to. But I mean, uh, there's obviously like Legally Blonde and Newsies that are like more recent ones that you um, probably... (laughs) didn't have in this childhood collection of CDs. But that's why I was just like, oh, I wonder if there's like, maybe like would Heathers have worked or Mean Girls or um, I'm surprised you didn't do like Wizard of Oz or Wicked or something like that. There were a couple that I had originally put in the the manuscript before it went for publishing. I think I had Rock of Ages in there um, (laughs) at one point. Uh, but that was about an X. And I was like, you're giving him too much time. You're giving him too many pages. So I just reduced it to a paragraph and threw it somewhere else. Um, but like, I think Rock of Ages was in there at one point. I think that um, 
I wonder, I think Wicked might have been in there at one point. I don't remember. But yeah, I mean, certainly it was um, the selection of musicals that I chose didn't really have intention. Like a lot of them are some of my favorites, but some of them were just like, where where can I put something that has characters that hearken to what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. You know, yes. like like using uh, Sweeney Todd for when I like I was like that actually happened. I was like that the way that that is framed in the worst pies in London. Like that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, walking to Little Pie Company on Forty Third Street and running into a friend who like decided Beetle. to not be a friend anymore. Fuck, fuck Beetle. Fuck him. Um, <laughs> but like, <laughs> it's possible you know him. <laughs> since then, have you buried the hatchet or no? You're done. I have not heard from this person since. Because cause spo- to spoil the book, for those of you who haven't read it in time of this release, um, the use, Beetle comes back later when you're back to auditioning and again getting back to what you knew before you were um, you went through this whole process. Because it takes place in a year? Yeah, it was 10 months. Jesus, fuck. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot. It was a big whirlwind. Uh, but yeah, he... Um, he was a very, very close friend. He was one of my my closest. And uh, yeah, when I told him I had cancer, he kind of bounced. And so I, I also find it interesting, like, which characters you grab from the musicals to use as, um, is it pseudonyms? Is that the name I want to, where do I want to use? I think it is. Because like, obviously, you're the only one whose name you use in the whole book. Even you even make reference to mother and father from a musical, like <laughs> yeah, that was that was done for legal purposes. <laughs> like you couldn't say, like, I mean, do you call your mother? Do you call mother mother, or do you say mom? No, I call her mom. Yeah, but like, I, that, when I did, I didn't pick up on that reference. I w- I was just like, he's just saying mom, you know, like mother, or whatever. I didn't realize that you no, were well. Now that we're talking about it, I feel like maybe I should have done a ragtime chapter, but like to them, like the mother and father figures were kind of a, presumed to be ragtime. And and despite the fact that I didn't actually use ragtime as a chapter, like that was where I pulled it from. But still, like, I mean, it, it would, I, I mean, that that's a more subtle reference. Yeah. One of yeah. my favorites, though, and I I highlighted it and I want to read it out loud. Um, It's in the sound of music uh one so that's act one scene eight and um (laughs) he wrote of course dr brigida couldn't access my spinal column directly she's the worst she had one job and i was just like yes brigida is the worst you were right right yeah well and that was also again back to like the musical selection like what characters can i align with these people like for worst pies in london where i lost a friend like beetle's a piece of shit in Sweeney Todd so like of course Mm -hmm. that's who I'm going to use for this situation because it was hurtful and it was hard and like not having that friend nearby while all of this was going on was like double hurtful because then it just kind of felt very like cast off like I don't want you in my life unless it's going to be like rainbows and butterflies and you know like like you had mentioned how he pops back up later in the book with like this entitled audacity to be like well we're friends again now 
out. Like, no, <laughs> like you know, and it was, I, I really wanted to include that storyline in this because it it's again, something that as a cancer patient, you're not warned about, or you're not like, it's not expected. Like you lose friends, people pop out of your life. They can't handle it. They don't want to be around it for whatever reason. Like it makes them look at themselves in some particular way. I don't really know what exactly the psychology behind it is. Obviously I'm an actor, not a psychologist. Um, but like, you know, some people just are ill-equipped for that, you know? And so like with the bad news came this severing of a friendship. And that was the last time I saw him, the audition thing and the the prior meeting on the street. Like that was the last time I saw them for years and like still have never talked to them. They've never reached out at all. Nothing. Yeah. And then... There's Valentine, which I need his name and where he lives so I can punch him in the face for you. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's also I think that's also a really interesting conversation, you know, like so in the book, Valentine is is the ex and he Mm -hmm. and I were together while this was happening. And then he bounces and I find out that he's actually seeing someone else. And and um, and like you didn't dramatize anything. Right. Like this is for the most part. No, I mean, this is all pretty much exactly what happened within the framework of the chosen musical of the chapter scene. But I mean, everything in this book, you didn't dramatize really anything uh, unless unless it was because there were some moments it felt like that you were so doped up on whatever drugs you were in the hospital that you're like, I'm seeing uh, I'm doing cats right now or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, as far as the story is concerned, nothing's really deviated from what actually happened. Because Valentine and then there's a couple of nurses that I just was like, who even? Like, who does this? Like, especially a lot of the medical staff that you talk about, no matter which chapter it was in, all the medical staff, it just felt like they had no bedside manner or anything. There were very few that did. Um you know, the, it was very. The, it was the one who applauded when you left Manhattan General. No, is it Manhattan? No, Manhattan, Manhattan County. County. Yeah, uh, but I think I think I may have accidentally slipped in like um, a, a Grey's Anatomy reference there. <laughs> it's- no, it's okay. I changed it because I don't want to get in. I actually know the person who is like ahead of their legal team for that particular hospital, and so like. I didn't want to have to face them in court outside of our friendship. So I changed it like, you know how it's like Cook County Jail in Chicago. So yes. I made I made it Manhattan County Hospital. Yeah. But like the, the Manhattan, the, uh, when you left, there was that one nurse that was applauding you on, like, she sounds great. There was a few others throughout that like were nice, but the rest of them, especially, I forget which chapter it was, but it was when you had the fever. Oh, when you had to get your port out. That's what it oh, was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the nurses were like, here's a stack of papers, just fill them out. And you're like, I'm dying. What can I get a wheelchair, please? Yeah. I mean, again, this is there's like a sub commentary here about the medical system in America. And I mean, oh, this yeah. is this is 11 years ago now that I went into the hospital and 10 since I was told I was good. So for that that year, you know, th- like it was shitty, but things have gotten not better. And so, like, I shudder at the idea of like having that happen present day and what it, that would be like in fact i think it got worse since then <laughs> right that's what i mean like like there was some really bad shit that happened within the confines of each hospital and you know sloan kettering was better but yes you know like not 
perfect. <laughs> Even though you were told not to go there at first and you're just like, well, that okay. was yeah, that was a really interesting kind of conversation to have too because I I had asked about getting a second opinion and I had specifically mentioned uh, Sloan Kettering to the the people at this hospital and they specifically told me not to go there because it was like, oh, you know, they just treat you like a number and you'll just get kind of cranked into the system when really like the people at that hospital were using me as a lab rat because of the rarity of my cancer. And they were just kind of like checking down the whole, like, let's experiment and see what we can do. <laughs> they wanted your messy. money. They wanted they to did. milk you dry. That's they what did. it was. It was messy. And like, once I came to that realization um, and, and decided to leave uh, the, that, that whole thing that you were talking about with like the nurse clapping, like that, not literal applause, but I did have the nurse come up to me after I had like said my piece with the doctor and she was like, you made the right choice. <laughs> and it was like, oh, you work here. <laughs> well, so, okay. I'm not a doctor. I'm dumb when it comes to medical stuff. You, at the end, you talk about how your case was and you just said your case was so rare like how has anyone else had what you had yeah so so the parameters uh, under this conversation so like this particular type of like specific cancer there i think i'm gonna get these numbers wrong it was either 300 or 1200 hundred cases reported worldwide and the majority of them were in like young children in africa and so it was like, why the fuck do I have this? <laughs> um, you know, and so it was very kind of like shot in the dark at every turn. Um, and as of 2015, 15 or 16, no, 2017, sorry, 2017. Um, at that point, I was a sole survivor. Um, and the the parameters that they were that I was that my oncologist gave me for that context was that I was the only person who lived or the only person that lived without having a recurrence. And so like I am the baseline for that particular type. Like I'm in textbooks about this. Oh my god. <laughs> um I don't I don't know how accurate that still is, but I'm guessing if I was leading the race back then, I'm leading the race now. <laughs> That's wow. It's wild. It's a wild, like, and when she told me that, I was like, I didn't need to know that information. That doesn't make me feel better. Like, good for me, I guess. But, like, if it comes back, knock on wood, it doesn't. Like, I'm it. I'm the protocol. Like, there is, like, other than, like, medical advancements, like, I'm, <laughs> like, I'm the only game in town. Because <laughs> the procedures that <laughs> you went through... I mean that back at Man uh, Manhattan uh, County, it was it seemed like they were just th throwing things against the wall to see what stuck, and then once you went to Slim Kettering, it was just, I mean, there was that last ditch effort that you were like, I do not want to be uh, on the brink of death to see if my stem cells work. Woohoo! Yeah. Or, or wait, what was the, the other option? Was that um, it was somebody else's stem cells that your body could reject and you're just like well i'm fucked either way so yeah kind of i mean the only thing that kind of made the stem cell transplant like eased i eased back on it a little bit was because um there was no living cancer left the radiation presumably killed all of the living cells 
And so going into the stem cell transplant, it was kind of like doubling down on making sure that that was, that stayed that way. Um, you know, cause there was no real way of knowing strict solely from radiation if it had really gone away, unless we did a very grueling, like CT scan, CAT scan, you know, kind of thing for a really long time. And so it was kind of like an insurance policy to make sure it, it went away. And the, um, self-donor thing where I would have where I was my own donor which is what ended up happening was inhibited because when I was at the previous hospital and they tried to collect stem cells they couldn't and they couldn't figure out why because I was 25 and like for the most part was in really good shape and they couldn't get as much as they needed and then when I switched hospitals they were like what was the issue with the stem cell collection? Yeah. And then they were like, what is, tell, what medications are you on? And when I told them the one antibiotic prophylaxis, they were like, well, that lowers your blood count. So of course they would have a hard time. <laughs> it was just a whole mess. It, like it, it, yeah. But I was terrified of the oncologist at Sloan Kettering. We ended up being cool and friends, but she's like five foot nothing and like in giant heels and mini skirts. And like she would have like arm bracelets on. She's just styled to a T. Um, and even, ter- and, and, even in the, and even in the book, you're just like, she's to the point, very direct. Like, yeah. I, like yeah. That, that conversation, like most of the conversations that we have in the book are basically exactly how they went. Damn. Did you like journal this whole time or did you have my, to like remember everything? My mom did. <laughs> I have like pages of notes from her. Um, I love your mom. Never met the, the woman. I she's love the her. best. Yeah, she's the best. Like to get personal for a hot second. I called my parents after I finished reading this just to say like, be like, I love you guys. Cause I know my, my parents would be the same way that your parents were, you know, like my my mom isn't a doctor or works in the medical field like yours does, but like I know she would be there with the charts figuring shit out. Um, the fact that your mom had that because uh, when you were on morphine and having an allergic reaction to it, because like we all know <laughs> if we're allergic to morphine or not, <laughs> she's like, I have it. <laughs> Catch. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of yeah. That again was like almost exactly how that went down like like i i had um what ended up happening was i had like uh some form of colitis that they diagnosed later that was from a previous round of chemo and it kind of flared up in this way because i had like gastrointestinal moments uh during this like supposed to be pre like prep chemo and i like I have a pretty high pain tolerance, but like that was one of the worst experiences of my life. And my mom told me later that she thought that was the end. She like, like really, like we had this conversation a couple years ago and she was just like, she was like, yeah, I just didn't, I just kind of was like preparing myself that this was over. And like, it was literally gas. And she just threw me a gas X and the nurses like flipped out about it. Cause it's hospital protocol. You oh, was that what that was? Yeah. You have to you, go through. No, no. I mean like it was just gas X. Like because you yeah. used like the actual medical term. And again, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know what any of these drugs yeah. are that you talk about. Yeah. The medical <laughs> term is for gas X. <laughs> it was, an, <gasps> it was an anti-gas like dissolvable chewable tablet. Cause that she had in her purse. <laughs> okay. Now that makes 
more sense because I was just like, your mom is just like a walking pharmacy. What? <laughs> I mean, she is, but <laughs> and like, I, your your dad isn't in it as much as your mom because it seems like your mom was the one that was at he least was, there. He to... was there. Like, here's the thing, and I realize this as I'm like going through the audiobook. I'm like, wow, my dad isn't really here. He was here. He was there a lot. Like, he and my mom like switched on and off. Like, you know, with FMLA and being able to, like, take off of work because of medical emergency stuff with your kids. Right. And, you know, so he was present. But, like, the stuff that – and he he kind of got lucky because he got the calm of the storm situation. Like, he was there for the port removal. And he was he came up for, like, you know, one of the big fevers that I had in the hospital. And he was he was very hands-on and very there. But all the drama and the bullshit that happened, like, luckily and thankfully happened while my mom was there. You know, like, like my dad, I remember, like, the most crazy thing that happened was, I think it was, like, chemo number three. We were in a hospital room, and I was, like, looking up vacations of where I could go to like get away between chemos. And I was like looking at Egypt and like the climate in Egypt was not great at the time, but it was like $1,600 for 10 days in Cairo. <laughs> so like we were talking about that and that that's kind of what he was there for. Um, you know, like he didn't really have, he didn't have to or get to, or however you want to phrase it, like deal with all the medical nonsense, mostly because he doesn't have that background. You know, my dad's an artist. He's a guitar player. He tours like, you know, that's oh. the whole thing. Yeah. I know that. Um, mattmiskey.com um, plug <laughs> but you know he's he doesn't have a medical background my mom does so like all of that stuff the reason why she's in it and showcase more is because that was the conversation of the book so like my parents yes. were very much there like 50 50 but you know she was dealing with all the crazy the crazy shit and like I mean even though your dad isn't in it enough your parents it, it seems like it's also this is also a love letter to your parents and like even your sisters a little bit too like anyone who was around you that was helping you out that you put in a good light and named them after great characters like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it was it, it's in a i guess in in a sense it's a love letter to everyone in my inner circle who was who was there yeah. you know and certainly my parents i mean they're amazing they've been together since high school like they're high school sweethearts they my dad followed my mom to college like it was they're a whole thing and they're a vibe um I love them dearly and they were they could not have been more supportive in this whole situation and and when I was home for Thanksgiving this past week like we had a very good conversation about this whole time period um you know because we were talking about the book and things that are going on with it and I'm turning it into a TV show and you know like all this other stuff so we were talking about it and it was very much like you know they're incredible and they they really it, this I guess yeah I'm I now that you say it I'm sorry I'm like stammering over this but now that you say it like it, it really kind of is a love letter to them and and everybody else like you know I guess I never really looked at it th that way but yeah it is because totally you're is. I mean your mom is basically like the supporting lead in this it feels like because she's there every turn or you or like um forget which chapter it was when when you it was like when you were first getting um going to Manhattan County, I think it was, and uh they were like, That's thirty five hundred dollars for this whole for this scan. And you're like, What? Oh yeah. That's <laughs> and like that aside of like the lame is nuance of all of that, that's what happened. That was the lame is <laughs> like... that was a lame is chapter, yes. Yeah, yeah. Was... I just I just recorded that one last night, so it's fresh in my brain. <laughs> well, I mean it, and like but that's also just like 
you made like a scathing indictment on the whole medical field in that chapter because you're like it's thirty five hundred dollars for a scan or some or like yeah. or, or or like even throughout the book you're just like you talk prices because it's like nobody really talks about this like we see we've seen movies about cancer or people like with people with cancer and everything but nobody really talks about finances like the price tag of it yeah or yeah, i mean yeah when when i was home this weekend we were talking about that specifically um there was uh my stem cell transplant was 21 days and i think it was i think my mom said it was without insurance before any billing happened it was like 1.1 million dollars and then there was another there was another stay that i had and she told me which one it was and i can't remember off the top of my head now but she said that that was about three quarters of a million dollars for that stay and it was only a couple days you know oh it was my um it was when my it was when my port was taken out uh because she was talking about like all the testing and the antibiotics and everything that had to be done plus the surgery and everything else it was like seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars for like four days five days before insurance yeah yeah we didn't have to pay that out of pocket like thank god we had insurance but but still fucking a like you know, they were charging like $70 for Q-tips that we weren't using like because <laughs> they were just in the room. It's like, how, it's like, how much is my life worth? Yeah, well, um, I could, if I did some quick math, I could give you that number. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. But like, not just you. I mean, like for anybody in any sense. No, I know. Well, I mean, yeah. but, but. But that's a valid question, and I ve- I mean very literally, if I took all the hospital bills and added them up, it's like, okay, well, that is what my life is worth, literally, on paper. You know, and, like, if you go through any kind of medical, anything like that, like, the medical industry very much puts a price tag on you surviving. Mm-hmm. And, like, it cracks me up to this day where I still get literature from both of these hospitals asking for money. I'm like, I have given you enough. <laughs> You're not getting a dime from me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely up, it's probably closer to three million total, total for that yeah. for that for that ten year. eleven months yeah yeah oh between between the two hospitals oh and it also took us years to get that initial thirty five hundred from the two scans in the layman's chapter to get that reimbursed. Yeah, yeah, you talk about that too. Where all of a sudden yeah, you're yeah. like, you're like, this is. The reimbursement check and it's in my hands and now I have to give it back to mother. And I right. was like, do it. You just do it. I know. I did the right thing and it it, it wasn't easy. It's mother. It's mother. It's mother. Yeah. It's, it's mother. mother. Um, but you know, it was hard. I mean, I hadn't worked for a year, like a year, and like we had disability assistance, which ended up being a whole mess in and of itself. But like, you know, I had stuff coming in, but it's, you know, it's never enough. And it always goes right when it comes in and it was scary. And so having that amount of money in my hand was like, oh, wow, this would really help me where I'm at now. (laughs) But, you know, without, without mom, like putting our credit card down, like that wouldn't have happened at all. So, you know, had to give it back. Okay. So I bought this off of um, iTunes, iBooks, Apple products, whatever. In my version I don't have Act Two, Scene Nine. It repeats. Do you? Are you aware of this? No. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh. So, so there's a whole chapter. I don't know what happens in your life. <laughs> oh no! Hang on a second. Let me check the hard copy to make sure that that didn't happen because that's a conversation to have with the publisher. Because um, eight. 
because eight is uh oh. eight is ladies and their sensitivities and then it goes 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 and then i got to act two scene nine which is has a different title my body is my business but it's the same chapter huh interesting hang on a second i'm sorry to be the one to inform you of this i started reading it i was just like wait okay so in my in my hard copy that's not the case so i'll have to say something to the publisher and let her know about that so what happens in that chapter um let me let me look this is just for me (laughs) (laughs) what you wrote it you should know it i know i should but hang on a second (laughs) and and hopefully by the time this airs it's fixed and everything but if not because apple is also another pro another corporation that likes to suck money in your soul basically truly oh my god i know we're so beholden beholden to them and i hate it <laughs> um okay so you had ladies and their sensitivities but you yes. don't have i don't have my body is my, my business. body is my business all right hang on one second I'm so sorry to be the one to tell you. No, this. you're totally fine. It's it's so good that I know. Honestly, I mean, obviously. Hang on a second. Are there pictures in the hard book copy? Yeah. Are they not in the digital? No. God I damn hate, it! What I hate? Yeah, I have every. We we like went down the Taylor Swift uh, 1989 route and did like little Polaroids. Okay, so when we first talked about doing this, I was going to get the hard copy. I was because I do like holding a book. Um. Amazon was going to make me wait until after this recording to basically deliver it to me. So I was like, go fuck yourself. Let's buy the, let's buy the digital copy. And on it, there are pictures and I'm very upset now. Um, Okay. This seems to be a sex chapter. Okay. (laughs) And (laughs) I mean, I do applaud you also for going there. Like you opened up to everyone basically. And you were like, you you we we did the poop the poop humor, but like that's an embarrassing moment. And I'm sure in the moment you were having all these emotions, like you're laughing because it just happened and you needed some sort of release. But like you're probably also embarrassed because like that's a natural reaction to something like that, especially at the gym. <laughs> yeah, like shitting in the middle of the gym would not have been great. Yeah, um, that's a sex chapter, and like the reason why, I mean, it that was never not going to be part of this book. I never had a moment where I was like, oh, should I take this out? No, I was never going to take it out because it is again one of those things as a cancer patient that people just don't think about, and it's like as a cancer patient, and then someone who's after the fact, like you're still a person. You still want to be touched and loved on, and like you still want to feel people and things, and like. I tried my damnedest <laughs> to uh, keep keep the sex life normal during that period of time to epic failures, as you have read, and some of them much more uh, self-abusive than others. But, like, you know, there there really is a component of that where it's just kind of like, well, like, especially because I had a boyfriend at the time, you know, and that that ended how it ended. But, like, you know, it, it's still a thing. It's still, like, like cancer sex is, like, not the safest thing to do because you don't have an immune system but like you know there is a want for it at some point like when you when you're at the end of a chemo cycle and you start to feel normal again before you go in for the next one or like during radiation i was like mostly fully functional 
as a human because like my hair started to grow back. I wasn't doing chemo anymore. I just had 30 days of very localized radiation and I felt normal, which is where like the poop story comes in. Cause my body was like, Oh, you're doing new things. So like, you know, like the, the sex conversation I think is really an interesting one to have in this context. Um, Cause you're a person and you have. You're, wants. Yeah. yeah. Sex yeah. and cancer, who knew? Um, I also want to make a point that's kind of adjacent to this as well with the whole like breaking up with someone during a very scary period of time. Um, I have a friend who had a fiance who had ALS and they were to get married. <laughs> I don't know if the date was set or whatnot, but like it was a thing that was going to happen. And then she was diagnosed and it was very fast. Like within several months, she was unable to walk or talk. And so, like, when we met him, um, this it was, like, very, very progressed. And he asked one of my friends out on a date. And she was like, um, excuse me, you have a fiancé. And he his response to this day resonates so hard with me. And he said, I am her boyfriend, but she is not my girlfriend. And it was like, oh, fuck. And I don't say this to vilify him. I say this because she's dying. That is happening. Okay? Like, it's just, like, this thing that is, like, you can't avoid it. It's going to happen. He will continue to live. And it's not that he is not there for her. It is not that he is not showing up for her and not at her bedside and not taking care of her. He is. He is doing all of those things. But she needed him as a boyfriend, as, like, support and comfort and as a person who was in her life and a constant that she recognized as part of her life when she was still not a sick person and he had to face that and then also realize that when she's gone he still has to be a person too Mm. and so i'm like after i this was a couple years ago that we had this discussion but after that i was kind of like thinking back to the boyfriend and i was like huh Yeah, like, it was a dick move, but I completely understand why. It's like the wrong words, but I under, I, after you explained it, I understand. Yeah. But the, when, the, the initial, like, she's my girlfriend, but I'm not her boyfriend or whatever was, it was just like, that's, you could have said it nicer. Sure. Um, but I don't know how else to put it. You right. know, like, and I don't know if he does either. And it it really is, you know, like, again, it's a dick move. I'm I'm over it. He's married to some meth broid head. I don't know. But like, I don't begrudge him for it. It's, right. I, I recognize that it hurt me and it wasn't the best situation to put me in right before all that was happening was happening. But at the same time, like if the shoe was on the other foot, I don't have right. an answer for you. I would like to think that because I've been in this situation that I would stick around, but mm. I don't know that. And, and, none, and none of us can know that you can, you can hear this scenario and be like, Oh my God, I would never leave my partner if that was going to happen. But you don't fucking don't know. know. You don't know. Right. And you have to keep that in consideration, especially with Valentine also made it a dick move, but like he was cheating on you. So like, that's also where we can focus on our rage on. Right. right. And he I mean, was, he was, <laughs> did I confuse people? No, no, yes. no, not at no. all. Yeah. Um. No, he, he was. And like to a degree where we were open because it was 
partially long distance and it was also like the circumstances I was living under. But the rule was like, you know, no dates, like you can do whatever you want, but until it, like, if the second it goes past that, it's, it's beyond the rules. Um, you know, and th- that was just what worked for us or worked for me <laughs> and didn't work for him. <laughs> oh, God. But the, but that's again, like, I, I don't want to, I don't want this to be, I don't want this to come across as like being a sad sack. Like it just is what it is, you know, like this is, these are components of life that kind of get flipped on their heads when something like this happens and yes. people are going to react the way that they react. I lost friends. I had people come out of the woodwork that I didn't expect to be there for me. Um, you know, and there's also like the component of like, I didn't really tell a whole lot of people that I had cancer at all. Like I was off social media. Like I didn't even have an Instagram at that point because that was still kind of new, but like, I didn't put it out there because I knew that there would be people that would want to glom on to like the, the trauma junkie Mm. thing and like, and like get close to me in case something would happen so that they could beat their chest and be like, Oh, I was there for him. Because those people exist, you know, they, they want to be in the orbit of some tragedy so that they can like jerk themselves, jerk themselves off and be like, oh, I was there for them and we were best friends. It's like, who are you? <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs> Do you still hang out with your hair tribe or the the people in the, the hair chapter that you mentioned? Yeah, for the most part. Um, One of them just had a baby. She's in L.A. The other one is well, actually a lot of them are, are in L.A. Um, the woman who brought the brownies, like she's in LA. She just got, she got married two years ago to her, um, partner. I'm I'm sorry. The brownies, when you said that you ate three of them in a row, I was just like, what? (laughs) That was, that evening was legendary. Like friends of mine still talk about that. (laughs) Good. Good. Yeah. But, but I, but I'm still in touch with all of them. Uh, the ones that still live in New York are still very much my, my fam. And uh, nice. We've we've added to the pile since, but you know, they're the they're my core. Because they seem like the ones that, like you said, they're your core. Like they seem like the ones that weren't the ones that ran off because it got too hard for them or whatever. No, quite uh, the opposite. I mean, they were for the majority of them. They were all in my hospital room at some point, like visiting when they could. Is there? Because in the epilogue, you kind of gloss over some things that you're like I could have spent some time on on this subject but like why but like now that you're going through and rereading it and everything is there something that you wish you added or talked more about um what a good question you really are living this Barbara Walters dream. I'm living my bar- I text I did tell you I want to live my Barbara Walters Oprah fantasy <laughs> These are good questions. Um, anything else that I would have liked to talk about or talk about more? Um, I don't think so. I think that maybe what I could have and or should have done, unless this is like some kind of part two to the book that I do later, is talk about more of what happened after that. You know, like yes. I kind of leave you off in 2016 and that's the end of the road. But like, actually not even, I kind of leave you off in like 2012. 2013 14 no you you jump to like 14 because there's that one audition where you where we talked about where you ran into beetle and you're you're like bitch get off go away yeah no you're right you're right yeah but i mean that was still eight years ago i like would have maybe and the the prologue kind of touches on this where i give like a list of updates of like the things that i'm doing um 
yes. but you know like maybe maybe kind of like talk about the the mental minefields that you're dealing with even 10 years later you know and realizing that like oh i do this because of this <laughs> like oh i push people away because people hurt me and like you know i need to stop doing that um you know stuff like that maybe you know maybe that's that's something i would have talked a little bit more about but i think for the most part i i chose to publish this at the stopping point i published it at because i felt as if though i had said everything i wanted to say but then you had a podcast based on right. this right that is no longer but the podcast was kind of like fulfilling this um audiobook fantasy so what ended up happening <laughs> was originally I had reached out to Marin Maisie to do the audiobook. Oh my god. A friend a friend of mine had done shows with her husband and so he was like, "Oh, I'll totally pass an email to to him if you would like me to." And I was like, "Uh, I would love you to." So I drafted an email to Marin and, you know, she wrote me back directly. I like still have those emails from her and I cherish them to this day. And she originally had said yes to that she would love to do it, even if it was just like a chapter or two here and there or do the preface or, or whatever the case. Um, but then she had actually backed out because um, a, a cousin of hers, I think, had died of breast cancer. Um, and mm. so she was dealing with that. Um, and then she also was fully not in remission and she was still going through treatment and it was very taxing. And so she ended up grace, graciously backing out and just saying, like, I'm sorry, I don't have the energy or the time, um, which completely understand. Fine. Uh, but yeah, so the the original thought was to have her read the audiobook. Uh, and then when she said no, the thought was like, well, I'll, I will just find people in the theater community who are cancer survivors and have them each read a chapter, uh, which would have been really fun. <laughs> but <laughs> Expensive, it's your story. But, fun. but it is my story. And I tend to do this again. This is the thing that I've, I've learned about myself where like I create something and then make it about other people. Um you know, and so when I republished this for the 10 year, a lot of people were like, are you going to do the audiobook?" And so I originally wasn't, but I, I now am. And the podcast was kind of a version of that where I could have cancer survivors read a chapter and then I would interview them after the fact and talk to them about their cancer journey and like survivorship journey. Is it? I, I was trying to find it. I can't. Is it? It's it's nowhere. I took it down. It, okay. I I because I was like paying for the the distribution service, and then like wasn't really doing anything with it. And I had finished Act One, and then I was gonna start Act Two, and it was just kind of like, like you know, it was in the middle of the pandemic that I started doing it. So it was like things got busy, and I didn't have the time, and you know, whatever. So I have it archived. What? pandemic projects that are podcasts what never <laughs> I, uh... I have zero of those um, <laughs> yeah um so it's i i have it on my youtube and it's private and you know it's archived and everything else but it, i took it down you know and also some of the people that have done those recordings have passed you know from cancer since then and there were people that i dedicated the book to who have passed um you know that from cancer so like and other things so it's just kind of like you know it was a it was a passion project that I thought was going to be a really fun kind of thing to do and it was at the time but I kind of dropped the ball on it and I'm now just kind of focusing on doing it myself because like you said it is my story and I do need to make it about me and that's something that I'm not great at and so we're making it about me and that's growth (laughs) um and that's growth 
And so you mentioned that you're turning this into a series, TV series? Yes. Can you talk more about that or are we not sure. allowed to? No, no, of course I can. So I'm I'm using this book. Um, I'm putting the finishing touches on the pilot now. Uh, it's going to be a musical episodic TV series. And oh, each... thank God. I'm so excited. Oh, it's really <laughs> fun. I'm really excited about it. But each each episode will be a different musical, very similarly to how the book is. Um, so... so are you talking like you are taking songs from the musicals or we are you going are, to... We are parodying them and kind of doing like a version, like very like Schmigadoon, mm-hmm. but cancer. Schmigadoon, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, those are the two things that will be in the in the pitch deck. Um, oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, it's want really this. fun. <laughs> I want this, and then I'll get to cover it. I'm so excited. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm... Oh, I don't know if I should say this, but like... I could bleep it out if you want me to. Your call. Um, I what I'm the most proud of right now, uh, and what I have recently accepted as one of my favorite musicals, which I think prior I would have maybe rejected, is Little Shop of Horrors. And so the first, the pilot is called Little Shop of Cancer. But like you, I mean, did you really nickname the Lump Seymour? Yeah. So it's very important. You have to. Include it's literally. It. I mean, like. <laughs> the the guy in the book who's mushnik is actually my friend brian out in sacramento and like we very that that whole thing at the bar where the movie was playing and we called it seymour that is literally what happened that is actually what we did like i went from the emergency room to the bar and told him what happened and little shop was playing and we were like well okay well we have to name it (laughs) that's it yeah yep yep yeah and like the whole time i had a very big sense of humor about it because it was like of course something dumb and stupid like this is happening to me you know like i've put myself in bullshit positions my entire life i moved to the city at 18 like three days after high school with like no money and i knew one person here and you know like ran away and joined the circus and then it's just been like crazy shit ever since and it's my fault (laughs) and (laughs) what's also interesting is that not only are you commenting on the medical field, but also theater. There is that one chapter where you're auditioning for your first audition. I think it was mm-hmm. where the monitor come. You you're like, oh, it's at ten a.m. Let me show up at nine thirty. And there's like a slew of people there, and the monitor comes in and it's like it keeps making you cut it down to the point where you're like, we need a bar or whatever it was. Yeah, and, it was. And, I mean, the fact that we're still doing that is is wild. Yeah. Well, and that's also a theme that carries over into the the TV pilot as well. Is kind of like on a on a farther level than that. There's like racial commentary. There's like gender like differentiation uh, commentary as well about how that is handled and treated within the industry. So it's not even really just this fun camp it's i mean it's fun and it's camp but like you know it's not just that there's commentary in there about the way that we're treated and about like the mentality that we all have of being disposable and you know there's a lot of a lot of that uh which was very important for me to get in there because i wanted to make you know it's it's kind of one of it's going to be one of those things where like if you know you know 
But if you don't know it, you'll still be entertained by it. And you'll be like, oh, that was terrible. <laughs> it, it's a learning. It's a learning process for those who don't know. Yeah. And then for those of us who do know, we're like, oh, we're still doing this. Okay. Yes. Yeah. There's a there's a scene I just wrote in uh, a couple days ago that's like a dueling audition uh, for two separate shows. But the one that my my quote unquote character is auditioning for versus this other person of color is auditioning for and the way that we're treated in the audition and it just kind of like bounces back and forth between the two. Oh no. And it's yeah. And also That's the subject matter that we're singing. <laughs> I'm so also, excited for this. I am so excited for it. I am so <laughs> has it has it actually been picked up yet or are you filming? No, I'm you... still I'm still collaborating with a producing friend of mine. Uh she has like distributor access and we have all kinds of all kinds of people on the producing side of this that are gonna be able to make this happen. Of course, we're gonna do like a crowdfunding thing campaign later in the year next year for 2023, but I would love to be in like film production of this by fall of next year. Okay. I'm yeah. excited. I would love it to be sooner, but we'll see. I mean, <laughs> there's you know how the field how the how the entertainment industry works yeah. and why. Well, I mean, that's also kind of a thing that I love unre- semi unrelated to the book. Like, yeah, the entertainment industry works a particular way, but if you have a good team and the money to back it, it doesn't matter how the entertainment industry works. You can mm-hmm. do it yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done that before. I have I had a show, a concert that we called Baritoned uh damsels in distress for several years um that i toured around and like i wasn't waiting for anyone to give us any permission to do anything i i got us booked i created the show and i made it happen and like we did all the things but yeah i mean like that was the thing that was just like i'm going to create this because i don't need to wait for anyone else's permission to make something that i want to do and the book was kind of the same thing and this tv thing is kind of the same thing and, um, you know, like this coming off the tail end of me being replaced unceremoniously on the Chicago national tour, like that's where I was supposed to be right now. Um, I was in rehearsals for that this summer and, you know, we were doing this little pre tour run and, you know, I was, I found out a week before that I was being replaced by a friend, by the person who replaced me, who is a friend of mine. By like Jinx Monsoon, right? By Jinx Monsoon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of where this like wave of I'm in control right now comes from, because like we so often in the entertainment industry, specifically theater, do not have control over what we want and what we're booking. And it has very much. And one of the things I said to the cast before I left, and I, this is true for everything, I think, in my opinion, you have to have something else. It cannot be the only thing that you do. It cannot be what you eat, sleep, drink, and breathe. Even though the industry wants to make you believe that if you don't eat, sleep, drink, and breathe it, you don't want it enough, it cannot be the only thing that you have. Because if I didn't have anything else going on, and I would have been replaced on that tour, I'd be a mess. I would be a whole hot mess. No. But I had but I had shit to go to. I booked a three week trip in Europe. I had this book thing happen. I have a great job that I like that I work remotely at. And, you know, I'm just kind of running with this book and creating the TV show and all this other things. And like, yeah, it sucks. And I wish I was on the road with them because they are lovely, insanely talented humans. But like, I'm good. I have other shit happening. It's cool. Now, in the preface, when you're talking about when you're using six is everything, you're talking about how after uh, afterwards you're now somebody different did you have that mindset before 
Um, yeah, to a degree, for sure. I just think that, um, you know, like having that happen and kind of stepping into this not new role, but more of an all in on myself kind of role with the book, that was just kind of something that was like, I don't want to say the last straw, but it was very much like, you know what? I don't need anyone else's permission to do this. Like, who put such a high price on being selected to do something? Go make your own shit. Like, go do your own thing. Like, we're all, like, especially artists. Like, we're all so capable of being creative and building our own thing. And yes, like, learning how to produce it and promote it and market it and sell it is a skill, which I also teach. But, like, you can do it yourself. Like, you absolutely can. And because once like the the hardest part what is the hardest part learning to do it the first time after you've done it the first time it's like oh cool got it makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so like yeah i've i was like this beforehand but that just kind of made it double down so um we talked about the podcast talked about life. you're still acting then like yes you're picking up the odd <laughs> jobs here and there going on the auditions the cattle calls and everything uh no. No. I haven't done a cattle call in probably 3 or 4 years and I probably won't ever again. Um I was equity, I'm no longer. Um all right, Patty. I, literally, I dropped it like maybe a week or two. <laughs> of, maybe maybe not. I my timeline's getting messed up, but I did it first, Patty. What is time? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, again, like my, my sole focus right now is the book and turning it into the TV show. And for that, I will be performing and being an actor, but until then anything else would be a distraction. Like you also mentioned, um, another project called Ladylike. Is that still in the works? Yeah. So my friend Taylor Coriel, she wrote, um, she wrote this feature film called Ladylike. And it is about this one isolated incident that happened, at the Players Club in 1911, Sarah Bernhardt was allowed into the Players Club, which was an all-men's club at the time. She wanted to see the Booth apartment on the top floor, which is where Edwin Booth died. And he like, said in his will that he wanted it to be untouched. His two only wishes were that the apartment remained untouched and that the players stayed as a club for artists and their philanthropists forever. And that has happened. And you can still go see the apartment today. But um, Taylor wrote this film about Sarah Bernhardt, who was allowed in to see the apartments, and they put her in the elevator to send her upstairs to see it, and the elevator broke, and she was stuck in the elevator for two hours, and it was such an ordeal and such a to-do that she was humiliated and pissed that it happened, that she stormed out of players, and she never went to see the apartment. And so Taylor has wrote this film about that about that event and these two fictional women who are like fangirls of Sarah Bernhardt and they like sneak into the players club dressed as men to meet her. And it's a, it's a commentary on gender disparity between male and female and and women uh, kind of existing in, in men's spaces. And it's, it's so charming and very, very adorable. We, we filmed a proof of concept for it in the Bronx um, at the Pell museum, I think it's called. I mean, she's going to be so mad that I said that wrong. (laughs) Um, but yeah, we're having a screening of it in a week and it's going to be hopefully in production by next year as well. Well, this episode comes out in January, so it's probably already (laughs) in the works. (laughs) I mean, it is, it is in the works and we're kind of working on private funding, but you know, it's, it's not, 
I don't think it'll be in production until about fall of next year. So I'll be doing that and I'll be doing my thing and it's just going to be oh, a, so insane. Fall year. 2023 is busy for you. It's busy for me. Okay. So black, you <laughs> black your calendar out and you can't do anything. Great. Can't do anything. Um, <laughs> uh, were there, are there any other like post book projects that you want to talk about? No, I mean, not really. I mean, I, I kind of I kind of shut everything off. Like, I stopped paying for Actors Access. I stopped submitting for auditions. I, like, am, I'm not doing anything but the book and the pilot for the book now. Nice. That's Just like, you know, again, yeah. when, like, leading with strategy <laughs> for the first time in my life. Um, It's so weird because, like, there's... I usually, I don't know if you actually listen to episodes, but I have that segment sharp and flat, but usually is like towards the end of the episode. But I mean, I really enjoyed this book. It was very fun. I say that trepidatiously because like you wrote it in a very entertaining way, but like it's heavy subject matter. Like um, I had, there were points where I was just, a little hypochondriac checking my body for things while you you were talking about <laughs> i'm but familiar the, the port is gone there's no mm-hmm. port yep i have a little scar right here oh where yeah. the blood came out of and with the blood shot out of yeah exactly that <laughs> how big was the port it's not it's not very big i mean i think it's like it's probably about this big and that's like the plastic like, thing that kind of whatever and there's tubes that go up your neck and down the thing but the actual port itself is really only about the size of a quarter. Damn. It's not big. Oh, that's pretty interesting. And that was what they would plug for chemo to yeah, go into? They would, they, like your skin is over it and then they would like clean it and then they would like hook this thing into it. It, like, it was like a little pinch that would go into the port and then the drugs would go into your body and you could feel it. It was gross. Oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> the, gr- the grosser part is when they would flush it. They would use like a saline sterilizer and they would stick it in and like inject it in and because it went up this way you could taste it and it was always like and then towards the end of having it i was like near next to throwing up because of that like never really got sick much from chemo but the port flushes we're were like the absolute worst thing ever because they'd have to flush it before or after the use both oh oh great so you got (laughs) you got the chemical taste of the chemo oh what does it taste like (laughs) if you had to describe it if i had to describe it i mean you never really tasted the chemo because it's not like it was being pushed in it was dripped in so like that was slow it was slow like you never really tasted that it was like the fast port flush Mm -hmm. um of saline or whatever the fuck they were using and that kind of tasted like it's been so long it kind of tasted like eating a shoe <laughs> or like or like you know how tires smell yes if so you rubber. would like if you would like chop that up and chew on it oh god that's kind of what it tasted like and i'm told it tastes different for everybody oh but, that's good like some people can't taste it some people can um it really just i mean like uh, you know obviously everyone's body chemistry is different so it kind of like depends on your taste like you know how some people like sour things some people like spicy things it's kind of like that like whatever your taste receptors are (laughs) well so one last time the book is called cancer musical theater and other chronic illnesses by 
Edward Miski. Uh, by the time this episode is out into the world, you can listen to it. <laughs> listen to listen to Edward's sweet dulcet tones on your the audio. The sweet dulcet tones of cancer <laughs> musical theater and other chronic illnesses. <laughs> um, and also, nonfiction is not my genre, but like it was a it was a fast read because I was very. Because, like, for me, I got a lot of the musical references, so it was great. It, it helped reading that. And um, I'm sorry you had to go through this, but, like, I'm happy you're here still. Honestly, I'm not I sorry know. I had to go through it. That might be shocking, but it was it sucked at the time, but it has been very formative to, like, later years like you know it it very much changed my life and obviously that might be an obvious thing to say but like you know it it did and I don't really know um if I would have wanted it to not you know like I I say in the in the the new preface that like the person that I was before cancer was a fucking dick so like in hindsight like I wouldn't hang out with him so like it's good like we killed him off we don't I don't need him like we're right. we're good here we're good here now like open to learning open to being wrong open to you know being like different you know like it's it's you know everything has a serve and a limit obviously like cancer is a big limit but there was also a big serve to it as well because I got to live <laughs> um is there anything where I think we're at the end of the episode is there anything uh, you would like to plug or promote besides the book or just no, the book? I, no I don't think so I think we covered kind of everything yeah <laughs> I feel like we got off the musical track there for a little bit with uh that's fine yeah yeah, yeah 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 I mean like you know I, I just, mean I... It, like there are moments though that you also go off in the book you do I, I at least for me I if I couldn't get the reference it felt like it wasn't very musical some chapters and that's fine because it's your story and you're telling us what's happening and like it all can't be like a five six seven eight and or like a uh a, a random character from phantom of the opera is there phantom is not one of the ones you talk about but you know what which I mean? is weird like why wouldn't why didn't i do that <laughs> I mean, if you wanted to, for 15 years, if you want to talk about a nightmare you had, you could make the nightmare phantom. Maybe the 25-year anniversary, if I'm still alive. Um, I also think it's, like, it's interesting that you say this is nonfiction. Like, obviously it is. That's what it's categorized out online. Like, clearly it is nonfiction. But to me, it doesn't feel like it's nonfiction. And so, like, I don't think my brain, like, clocks it as being nonfiction. Especially, like, from the autobiographical sense. You know, like, it doesn't feel like, oh, back in 1986, well, yeah, I was born in a field. Like, it's none of that, you know? it's, well, it's... And even after talking to you, like, clearly you're um, you're an entertainer. You're always going to be one, baby. <laughs> even if you're not an actor right now, you're always going to be an entertainer. So, like, you you tell the story in a way that it's, like, not textbook. It's It's like you're telling the story. Like you're, you literally are speaking it to people. You'd be like, oh, so Grizabella sauntered in and yeah. Who was she? She was just a friend, right? She's, she's one of my besties. Yeah. One of your besties. Okay. Um, She was, she isn't in the book much because she was off doing shows, you know, and she, she came back and like, you know, we finally got to see each other, but she, it was hard for her because she saw me in the middle of it. 
you know, I went from like being the person she knew. And then all of a sudden she's back from a contract and like, boom, like I'm sick and dying. Hi, (laughs) nice to re-meet you. But like, yeah, she was, she's still to this day, one of my best friends. Good for Grisabella. Yeah, she's a, she's a badass. Uh, where can people find you to learn more about other things? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Edward Miskey. You can find me on TikTok at Edward Miskey. I'm also still on Facebook at Edward Miskey. <laughs> oh, right. TikTok, you you have like a music career too, kind of. Kind of. Kind Well, kind of. Um, I don't, I started the TikTok for the music career situation. Um, I don't really use it much for that. I have a TikTok that is, that I started out as like fun facts. That was like a New York City centered fun fact thing. I have like 30,000 followers there. But like, I'm trying to switch it over and rebrand it to be more centered around this book and the journey with the book and going forward and everything else. And my numbers have tanked. Like that algorithm is not happy because I was very curated. I was niched down. I had my shit pump in. Like I I could post once a month and still get like seven or eight thousand views on things. Um, and now I'm like struggling to get over a couple hundred. So, you know, TikTok is doing its thing. So I just need to kind of keep at it. But yeah, I'm I'm on the TikToks and uh I love them. And, you know, I'll 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 send you I'll send you all the links for where you can find me. <laughs> awesome. Um and if you want to find me on the socials for the podcast, you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at buttersongpod. I mean, yeah, this was great. I didn't know what to expect, and I'm I'm happy with this conversation we had. And it's important. I mean, it's great to expose more to this, um, because give 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 Edward your money, everyone. <laughs> Give me your wallet. <laughs> and and if you want to be part of next episode's conversation, well, we're starting a new series on this podcast. It's called Second Chance Theater, where myself and a new guest covers a topic that's already been covered on the podcast. And so the first uh, Second Chance Theater episode is going to be on hairspray. Woo! But Edward, thank you for coming on to do... to talk more about your book and everything and you were more than welcome to come back on to do a regular episode where we can nerd out about some sort of musical movie or something no thank you john i appreciate it and thank you for having me and i would love to everyone thank you so much for uh listening and have a wonderful day bye for now bye Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.